0: Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 12, the very end of chapter 12. The uh, title of the book is the Acts of the Apostles, and there's a sense when you turn to the end of chapter 28, you read it, and the book just sort of ends and so that's uh, prompted people to suggest that there's a sense, cut me slack now, there's a sense in which we're still writing the book of Acts. The, the Acts, the movement of God as he expands the church, continues today. And even as we look at this story this morning, I, I, I want to take however long we need to understand what's happening and then bring it right forward into our life today. So we pick up the story, chapter 12, verse 23, and we look at Herod, and it says, uh, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. So what we're seeing here now is something supernatural. God is moving, and he struck him down. Here's why, because he didn't give glory to God. It's the same thing we see uh, Laid out for us in Romans chapter 1, where Paul said that the wrath of God is being poured out on those who, even though God is evident through creation, they did not give him thanks, they did not give him glory. And that may be you here today. Uh, You may be one of those people who just at communion, you passed communion by, and you were saying, I'm not a follower of Christ. And that's a very significant moment. As you pass that element by, you're saying, in essence, no thank you to God, no thank you to his glory. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're going to be struck down and eaten by worms. (laughs) Uh, uh, But I am suggesting that you've pitted yourself as an enemy of God, and there's consequence to that. That's Herod's demise. That's where we left off in the story. In verse 24, it says, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. That's what God has done from the very beginning. And redemption and restoration, the restoration part of that continues today. And what I want you to see, and hopefully you'll see and will agree by the end of this lesson, that you're part of that. That, that we need to understand that God is at work. God struck down, and the Lord continues to grow. I am uh, old, and I've concluded this by, by two things. One, the calendar, and, and, and I have a mirror, and I can see I'm old. But the other thing I'm starting to do, what old people do. Uh, Sandy gets up every day about 4.20. That's pretty early. So I sleep until 4.30, and and then I get up, and I do a couple things. You don't care about them, and then I get my K-cup, and I go and sit in in the chair, and I turn on TV, and I check Channel 3 and Channel 10 weather. So you're starting to see this is what old people do, And and those are my two favorite weather people, and I like them both. And I compare and see who's right because one will say 109 and the other will say 108. Well, I want to know who's right. (laughs) Who can I trust? And then, this is the second way I know I'm old, I'll go and check and see if there's any hummingbirds at the feeder. (laughs) And and that's what I do. And then I'll go, by now Sandy's left, and I'll go and I'll turn on the news and within... Five minutes. Uh, there, there's a bombing here, if it's an international thing. There's a flight that's happened. If it's local, there's hit and run or a shooting or, or some, some so, so that I am going, man, things are out of control. But I got to remember this God's in control. He caught and, and it's the same thing is in the church and the body of Christ. This will continue. Why? because he'll cause it to grow. He'll cause it to multiply. And what I'm suggesting is he invites you, not not he's coming into your story, he's going to invite you into his story, into what he's doing. Verse 25 tells us in this story, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they fulfilled their mission. They were taking along with them John, who's also called Mark. We saw in Acts chapter 11, they were sent by the church at Antioch to the church at Jerusalem to bring them some financial aid, support, some assistance, and they are now returning back to Antioch. Now, the assignment I have today is chapter 13, verses one through 12. And I was walking out Tuesday, Out of the offices, and uh, Tim was standing by the back door, and he said, Are you ready for Sunday? (laughs) And I said, It's it's Tuesday, buddy. I'll be ready Sunday morning at eight. That's how I do it. And I said, I read the passage a couple times, and there's not a ton in there. And he said, Let me give you the outline. And, And I said, Okay. And it was, he said, you can remember it. And so I, I, I did, and I turned it into a slide. I didn't, but somebody did. Turned it into a slide for you. God uses real people in real places for real impact. And, and I emphasize the word real. Th- these are not make-believe stories. They're not fables. They're not fairy tales. These are real people. We tend to, and and this will be our flinch as we read it, we tend to elevate them and try to make them into something extraordinary. But by and large, they're pretty ordinary people that become extraordinary as the Spirit of God infuses them, and they obey. And what I want to suggest, and more than suggest, what I want to plead is that you understand that you're a real person in real places that God will use for real impact. That I want you to look at the story and and Photoshop yourself, if you will, into it and kind of experience, try to see, feel, touch what they do, but then go, "What, what does this mean to me? As we set up chapter 13... Let me read you uh, insights from a couple guys. James Boyce writes this: No matter how a person chooses to outline the Book of Acts, it is evident that Chapter 13 begins a new section. Another author writes this: Chapters 13, 14, 15 begin the story of the mission to the quote ends of the earth. So back in Chapter one. We got the mission, key value of the entire book. You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the work. That's what's playing out in this chapter. That's a pivot point to turn. Ray Steadman writes, the 13th chapter is the turning point in the book of Acts. It's what Winston Churchill would have called one of the hinges of history. It marks the beginning of the third phase of the Lord's great commission, so it's a key part. We're, we're turning the corner, though we have 28 chapters in the books, and we're at verse, we're at chapter uh, 13. We're turning the corner, but this is the part of the book that you're engaged in, the the witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth. That's you. Chapter 13, verse one we're at the church at Antioch. And in this church, there are prophets and teachers. There are guys using their gifts. Prophets and teachers, in in a functional way, very similar. They're proclaiming the Word of God. Anytime you have a church, a good church, there's the proclamation of the Word of God. This is what we hear all the time, and we have from the beginning. We continue to hear today. When somebody new walks into Gilbert, they'll say, we'll talk about different things, and they'll say, I like this, I like this, I like this. But a common thread is you teach the Word of God. People like chapter by chapter, I know where I'm going. You're teaching the Word, and that's what's happening there. And Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, identifies five guys, Barnabas. We, we, we learn more about him. His real name is Joseph, but he's called the son of encouragement, Barnabas. Don't know how he got that name. Uh, let, me, let me hit the pause button and apply. You need these people badly in your life. You never outgrow the need for encouragement. And you need to be an encourager. I'm teaching in two weeks at a Bethany Bible Church. And I'm going to talk about the tongue, speech. The power of life and death is in the tongue. If you're a parent and, and you tell your kid you're big, fat, and dumb, you're going to end up with a big, fat, dumb kid or a sick overachiever, one of the two. But you need the encouragement. And you never outgrow it. I'm in, um, I'm out of physical therapy, and I'm into strength training. But it's, it's, it's modified for people who are older, OK? So I, I, it's not like I'm doing PX-9 here. I'm not doing any of that. So we're the other day, and we're, we're doing our stuff that we start with, you know, the cat, thing, and Superman, we're on the floor. Plank, I'm planking. I can plank for 60 seconds. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks. I'm closing in on the world record. Uh, I'm a little bit short. The world record is eight hours and one minute. So I got the minute part, but I don't need it. Well, we're doing something um, called bird dog. So we're on all fours, and and. and So I would have my left foot out, and my right foot back. And we're doing it for balance. Uh, Every 19 seconds, an elder in the country, in the United States, every 19 seconds, an elder goes to emergency room as a result of a fall. Every 29 minutes, an elder dies because of a fall. I just say that to cheer you up, let you know what's going on in the future. But balance is a big deal. So I'm doing this. I got the left arm out, right arm back, and Shelley is leading us. And Shelley says, Everybody look at Tom. He's doing it perfectly. Not good, not great, perfectly. Well, I'll give you this in real time. I'm here. She said, look, everybody, look at Tommy's doing it perfectly. And immediately, I could feel that leg get longer and that arm get (laughs) strong. Immediately. You need that. You need that. Barnabas, he's part of this group. Then a guy named Simeon, who was called Niger. In in Greek, the the idea, the word there is black. Reason to assume in our contents uh, uh, someone from Africa. And also, there is Lucius of Cyrene. We don't know much about him. Uh, Manion, and we learn a little bit about him. He, he had been with Herod the Tetrarch, probably raised with him. He was a man of some status and social standing. And Saul. If we look at this church, and, and I don't know if it's the intention that Luke has when he mentions these five, but we see a diverse group, racially, economically, the, the the way that God works, God brings together people. He's not a respecter. He doesn't favor one color, one nationality over another. We we can tend to make Jesus a very white or at least a very American Jesus. But he's working all over this world. He's not a respecter of persons, and he tells us not to be either. That's going to produce tension. I'm teaching the book of James right now, every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock in the Commons. I'd love to have you join us. And we're going to be there at least through the, or not at least, until the end of June. But as we look at the book of James, chronologically, the first book written in the New Testament, James is already beginning to address tension within the church. He says you're showing favoritism. You're you're favoring one group of people over the other. That's always going to be in a mixed group. In a diverse group, there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be a challenge. That's why it's important to remember, we're all about diversity in terms of race and background and all those things, but not in terms of doctrine. It's the unification we have in the person of Christ. All saved, all sinners saved, delivered by grace through faith. Verse 2 while they were ministering, and they were ministering to the Lord. They they were serving one another, but but their audience was Jesus. They they weren't concerned about pleasing people, but about pleasing Him. And they're fasting. If you see in verse 3 there, they're fasting and praying. It, It seems to be that they're not not just pleading with God, but they're anticipating that God is going to do something. And he does. It says in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, to me, and, and so I would assume you, that immediately raises a question. How did the Lord through the Holy Spirit, how did the Holy Spirit say it? Were they sitting in this room and they heard that voice? Set apart for me. Uh, Ray Steadman uh, talks about the insistent unanimity in a group. He, he's not advocating always unanimity in every decision, but he seems to be saying That when you prayed, when you fasted, when you deliberated, and and, and everybody's landing at the same spot, that could well be God working in the group. Twenty-six years ago, literally right now, this time of the summer in 1991, there were a group of guys who were contemplating whether God might do something in a church in the East Valley. The result of that, East Valley Bible Church, Redemption, Redemption Gilbert. And, and I, 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 I wouldn't say it just voluntarily, but if pushed, I would say God said do it. Ah, but, but I, I, I get nervous right there. But I would say there was an insistent, Unanimity there were a group of guys who said, We think, we look, and frankly we're not going to suspend common sense at this point. God's murking, murking, God's working sovereignly and, and and yet he's using people to do it. You see in verse four they're sent out by the Holy Spirit and and they went to Seleucia, and from there to Cyprus. why Cyprus? Don't know. It seems that was God's intention from a common sense perspective. This is kind of, Barnabas is from there. Uh, I can see he and Saul sitting around and saying, obviously God's doing something. I guess so. I I, I think we're supposed to go on this missionary journey. I guess so. Where should we go? Well, they could get a map and do one of those. But, But I... I don't know. It's true. It doesn't say it in, this, in the text. But, but I think Barnabas might have said, I know a bunch of people in Cyprus. We could get started there. I, I, I know where we could stay or, or some guys that could run a room or, or at least make introductions. I don't know. But they sailed. They reached there. They proclaimed the word of God. They go to the synagogue. That's where they Paul always started. And they've got this guy with them. Their helper, John. Uh, John becomes an interesting story, and I don't want to. I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but coming up, John blows out. He's he's Barnabas' cousin. He's a, in our terminology. He's really an intern on this trip. He becomes a magnificent picture to me of a guy who ultimately blows out who we're going to see in a few chapters, Paul and Barnabas head out on another journey, and Barnabas says, let's take John, Mark, and Paul said, I'm not going to take him. And there's a huge breakup over this. But at the end of his life, and, and Paul's the one who's saying, I don't want this guy. At the end of his life, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, and he said, I'm here all alone only Lucas with me Demas has deserted me you Timothy come quickly and bring Mark with you he's useful for service you may be here today and you may be somebody who's really screwed up we would call it sin and it's a big deal you failed so did John Mark so did Peter and here's what I want to say not only did God say he'd forgive you, and you might believe that he'd forgive you, he'll still use you. Mark's with them, and he's there as a helper. Verse 6, and when they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician. God's moving. He's directing these people, and where God's working, inevitably, there'll be opposition. This is actually, this is a pretty cool story here. There's a false prophet named Bar-Jesus who is with the proconsul, the governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And Sergius Paulus summons Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Talk about God moving! Here's one of the, if not most powerful guys in the area that they're working, and he sends a message and say, hey, come, I want to hear this truth. That's what God does. As you're faithful and as you're sharing, God begins to open doors. God will do that in your life. There there is a magician at this point who is working in the area. He's watching this go on. And his name is Lemus. And he's opposing them, and he's trying to intervene and turn Sergius Paulus away to them. Verse nine, but Saul speaking, and he said, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the key. He said, You are full of deceit and fraud. You're not the bar Jesus. You're not that son of Jesus. You're the son of the devil. You're enemies of righteous. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Stop it. Knock it off. Next verse, verse 11, while he's speaking, behold, the Lord is upon you, he said, and uh, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately the mist fell on this man, and he went about seeking those who would lend him a hand, It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Sergius Paulus thought so too. And he believed when he saw this happen. And he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. This is what you see all the time. God moves sovereignly. He moves through the book of Acts. He moves through your life, and yet you're responsible to move. Let me go back to the slide that we used earlier. God uses real people, real places, real impact. I've got uh, 11 minutes. That's not 11 minutes. So so let's drive this home. Uh, get Get rid of real. God uses you in places that you're in. And he puts you there for impact. Paul's on a missionary journey. When we hear that, we think passport, visa, shots. You're a missionary. Paul uses, the terminology he uses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you're an ambassador for Christ. You are right now. You're in real places And your responsibility, we've used over the years, is to make the invisible God visible and to speak the truth boldly. As you go out from this place, it's how God has always expanded the church. History tells us this. In his classic work, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbons writes, it has become the most sacred duty of a new convert to diffuse, spread out among his friends and neighbors the blessing he had received. One of the early historians write, the feat of Christianity, meaning its expansion, its growth, was accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That's you, We we did this idea of witnessing, and all of a sudden, we we, we got classes. We think we got to decide to do it, all that. That's all fine. What I want to see is that witnessing isn't optional. It's not mandatory. It's inevitable. You're a witness right now. You just had a week of witnessing. You might have done a lousy job of it, or you might have done a great job, but you did it. You are to go. And in Jesus' words, let your light shine in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven, wherever you go. I uh, am driving down Ray Road the other day, and I see a sign, and it says, it's a real estate sign, open house with an arrow, and the realtor's name is on it. And I recognized the name as somebody that I know, somebody from church. And I thought, well, I'll just pop in. Sitting in an open house, it was light. I can't remember what day of the week it was. But I thought, probably sitting there, could be lonely. I'll pop in, say hi, get out. And I go in, and she's all bubbly, all excited. And she starts telling me, I said, this is really kind of a cool house. She said, oh, I sold these people this house, I think she said, 14 years ago. It's a great house. Now they're downsizing. And here's what I thought. I thought, isn't that amazing? For most people, this is the biggest financial decision they'll make in their life. And she's there in the midst of that. Think of the opportunity to be salt and light in those persons' lives. I uh, I need a haircut, but uh, the lady who cuts my hair, she goes to church here. And you talk about an opportunity to witness, to share. She's got you in her sink and in her chair for getting a cut for like 20 minutes. Well, not for everybody. I know, sorry. I didn't mean to ruin it for you. But if you're doing a color and a cut, it's an hour and a half. And, and you tend to go in there and open up, and there's all this stuff that is going on. That's a missionary. One of my doctors goes to church here. He's a cardiologist. He's dealing with life and death stuff. His opportunity. And, and just, I mean, he had to come in and do this, whatever they were doing, and come out to Sandy and say, we need to do something more than this. We're going to need to do a surgery. Think of the opportunity you have there. I was thinking about this. You're a tow truck driver. You got somebody, it's 178 degrees out there, (laughs) and your car's broken down, and they need a tow. And you pull up, and you walk in, and all of a sudden, you're, you are physically the hands of God there to be a cool drink, to alleviate them in a time of real need. You, you can have an interaction where they look at you, and they say there's something different about you. Okay, not odd, <laughs> different. She looks different. You're at the gym. I mean, you can play this out a thousand ways. You're a teacher. You've got kids around you all day that you can influence for the rest of of their life. My kindergarten teacher was a lady by the name of Miss Julie. Okay? So I was five. I could take you into that room. The room was set up as a small room. Our desks were at an angle. Think about the power of life and death in the tongue. And, and we have a coloring assignment, and it's two kids playing in the snow. And, and we color it. We turn it in. And Miss Julie says, uh, look up here. Look up here. Uh, uh, who drew this? Tom. Tom, which one of you are Tom? I want to say thanks for getting to know us so well. Which one of us are Tom? Tom, Tom, Tom. Everybody look up here. Tom drew this. See this? Every Tom drew it. Do you, do you see that that this kid's in a red snowsuit, and this one is in an orange snowsuit? Don't you ever put red and orange together. Ever. <laughs> ever. Now that's 62 years ago. I mean, I'm way over it by now, but I but I but I and I, I've lost track of Miss Julie. I assume she's in hell, um, (laughs) chained for all eternity, next to a kid in a red snowsuit and an orange snowsuit. Well, I mean, think think about that all coming back. That's the power you have, you know? That's the power you have in the tongue as a teacher. You're a mom staying home all day with kids. You manifest Jesus. You live the gospel out. You speak it. Now, once you start to get serious about this, understand everybody's watching. I taught last Sunday at Scottsdale Bible Church. And we came home, and we changed, and Sandy said, Do you want to do something? I said, sure. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, And she said, would you like to go to Fashion Square? Now, that's more my idea probably than hers. She's not a shopper. She doesn't want to typically, but, you know, I said, sure. So we go to Fashion Square. We're walking through Fashion Square. We get something to eat and walk out. Four people stopped me and said, I saw you this morning at Scottsdale Bible Church. Now, I assume there might have been others. My point is this. When you say to somebody, I'm going to Redemption Church. Come to my small group. Will you read this? Will you come to Easter? They're watching you. And I say that just as a reminder. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. They're watching you. Larry Wright used to say it this way you might be the only Bible some people ever read. Now, I don't know, that could get a little goofy and out of whack. I don't know. Here's what I know, they're watching you. And to them, at this point, they are, you are the Bible. That doesn't alleviate the responsibility they have. That's to talk to you about the privilege you have, not duty. Right before Paul says, that you're an ambassador for Christ, he says this, the love of Christ compels us. Why do you do this? Not out of duty or obligation. If you do that, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to poop out and it'll become very much like a Pharisee and you'll be going through the hoop and checking boxes. That's not why. You do it because he loves you some of you are a little old enough to remember this, but, but the first time that, that maybe you're in this situation, you're dating, and, and, and you're trying to figure out, do I, say, do I say it? Remember, I was in high school, and I'm dating this girl, and she said, I love you. And I said, I love you. And I thought, what what happened here? Where did this come from? Well, I don't understand what just happened. Well, well here you go. The minute you hear I love you, you're flinch. It's just like a reflex. Your, that's pretty impressive. I couldn't I couldn't do I couldn't do that a year ago. But 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 your flinch is to say I love you too. Here's Jesus on the cross and risen from the tomb. And he says, I love you. And your whole life is a, I love you back. And that's not duty. That's an act of love and privilege. He's called you into his story. This isn't about you. This is about him. And just like The Lord sent out Barnabas and Saul and John, Mark. He's going to send you out. Where? Well, wherever you go. If you're looking for a mission field, go home and put on shorts and a T-shirt and take a walk, and you're going to find mission people all around you, people people that need to hear and see that gospel. At the gym, start to see everything that way. Okay? Okay? It's the book of Acts continuing right here, I would say, to can be continued next week. Neil picks up right here next week. Father, take this truth, drive it home in our life and in our mind. God, thank you for loving us, saving us, and using us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.